my friends and family had kind of these expectations of me, of my identity. And going to another country was a chance to really explore who I was outside of my friends and family's influence. And there's so many factors to that. Like I can find out what really is important to me. You should always put yourself out there because you never know what could happen. So we are constantly exploring how to live our best lives. And one of the things that I have come to believe is the quest, it just can't happen in a bubble. Yes, we've got to know ourselves, but also others. And in a world that has become truly global, it's also so important to reach beyond the immediate confines of our friends and family and local community and even country. There is a giant world out there and so much richness to be discovered. So many insights, ideas, cultures, experiences that can inform how we see ourselves and our place in the world, what we share with others, and this broader perspective can also have a really profound effect on the work we devote ourselves to and the life and the world we seek to create. So how do you get this global, culturally diverse perspective? Well, one other thing I've come to believe is that the earlier in life we begin, the better. Now that can look like taking family trips to different countries, which we've done, or student exchanges, which our daughter has actually done. But another incredibly powerful path are study abroad programs for college and grad school. And these extended explorations, they can be incredible ways to immerse yourself or your kid in a powerful, eye-opening, bridge-building educational experience. So we got really curious what that might look like, you know, on a detailed level, on the ground. And we decided to partner with the Study UK program, which is part of the UK government's wider great campaign for Britain and Northern Ireland, to bring you this special sponsored episode with a focus on what it's like to study in the UK, exploring everything from the myriad benefits to finances, application, how UK education differs from the US approaches, and so many other really interesting and important elements. I learned so much, but we also wanted to learn from firsthand experience. So today, we are sitting down with 10-year broadcast journalism veteran Raquel Villanueva, who after spending years on network TV is currently a commentator and video producer at NASA's Jet Propulsion Laboratory, which is already just so cool. And the thing is, she tracks so many of her choices and journey in work and life back to those early experiences a decade ago, studying in the UK during college and then returning for her master's degree. These experiences truly left an indelible imprint on her career and life that continues to this day. And I wanted to learn all about it. So excited to share this conversation with you. I'm Jonathan Fields, and this is Good Life Project. I am so excited to explore your journey and especially how your experience studying abroad in the UK has had such a powerful impact on your career and life. What draws you to studying abroad in the UK? It was my program. I did a master's in international broadcast journalism in the UK my education felt like it was what I made of it. They really focused on just putting you out there. It was really on independence. Like you're going to gather the story, you're going to edit it, you are going to do the interviews and you would come out with this plan. If you really are passionate about it, you can turn your assignments into a great portfolio of work. You just have to have that motivation within yourself. If I ever get like a no or like the story doesn't work out, it's like you can always turn it around. For example, there was a music venue that was closing down and I was like, I'm going to talk to the owners and get this really impactful piece and how 
like the landscape is changing and how music needs to be considered when like closing down arenas that are iconic and the owners don't want to talk to me. I was like, what am I going to do now? (laughs) And I just had to think on my feet and find a new way to tell that story that still made an impact. And I always remember that when I have lessons in life today and you can still have that story mean something, just not in the way you might've expected to the first time. Yeah, I love that. Let's take a bit of a step back in time. As we sit here, you are in Southern California. I'm in Boulder, Colorado, your old stomping ground, as we were just talking about. Um, You're about a decade or so into this career in journalism, in hosting, in media. And I want to explore that a little bit also. You know, through that whole window of time, it sounds like you started out actually next door to where I am right now in Denver. And that's where part of your, your education was as well on the news side of things, like the network news side of things. But I'm curious, bigger picture, what draws you to this entire field to start with? My fascination with journalism came about through studying at the university and realizing that I love to learn just about every subject. I had three majors because I couldn't get enough of learning new information. My first major was originally psychology. And then I went to digital media, which was building websites. And I loved the learning. And then I realized maybe what I love with this learning is the ability to tell people's stories. And journalism felt like a way to consistently learn and repeat that information and teach everyone what I'm learning as well. And I would never feel like I was getting a little too stale or a little too much into a career that I might eventually want to learn something new. I always felt like this would feel fresh in my mind. Mm, No, that makes sense. I mean, it's, I'm curious also. So there are a lot of different ways to be in the world of journalism. And one of the big decisions that a lot of people make early on is do I want to be front and center or do I want to be behind the scenes? Like, do I want to be focused mostly on writing and let my words speak for me? Or do I want to be on a screen and actually be present, be the one who's conveying something visually and auditorily? It seems like you've chosen to say like, I want the latter. Like, I want to be actually out there telling the stories, but I also want my presence to be there. I'm curious about that decision too. I did study print journalism originally. So I was writing articles I loved going to concerts at the time. So anything I could do a review on, I would be writing about. And what I had heard was just people telling me, like, you have a great voice or we really like how you explain things. And that truly felt challenging because it's not my first instinct to be very outgoing and very extroverted. So I think when people see that this is my career that maybe knew me in high school, I was very shy. But I realized sometimes the most challenging bits are what you should dive into. And I found myself knowing that if I could correctly tell this story in an engaging way, that it could make a difference. And that's kind of why I went into the field of being front of the camera, because I felt like I could craft the words in a more creative way. I know that writing is some other people's fortes. For me, I feel like I can find the words for it when I'm just thinking out loud. Yeah. I mean, that's amazing. I feel like, especially because you describe yourself as Shire as a kid. Mm-hmm. And I'm always curious about this. When people talk about introverts, I raise my hand. Um, when people talk about highly sensitive people, I raise my hand. And yet for the last dozen years or so, I've also been much more front and center. 
that is my comfort zone. So when, when I hear somebody may be wired in a similar way and yet they keep saying yes to showing up in a public way, I'm always curious for you, do you feel like you needed to build a set of skills, not just around journalism, but around how to just preserve yourself when you do that on a regular basis? What I've kind of learned from myself is I used to have this standard for myself that things had to be perfect. I had to deliver a line in a perfect way. And I would stop myself into really diving into the most authentic way to tell a story or how to shape something I was working on, because if it didn't feel like it was going to be perfect, I shouldn't do it. And what I had to kind of learn to let go of was embrace imperfections. I might not say something exactly how it should be. I might not ask the right question, but people are forgiving and they actually do like to see someone show their realness and their humanity. And that's when I would feel that energy afterwards. I was like, okay, this is the feeling I wanted to convey to the world. And after you hype yourself up for that, once I'm getting into that mode again, I have to tell myself like, this is for people to benefit from. And I have to take myself out of the equation. And that's how I am able to kind of get the energy for it and really reframe it into what the purpose is about. And then I can really get into it again. But it does take some time. I have to like mentally focus before I do any big event. I really do kind of immerse myself in it for two days. I really try to focus on it and I'll think of other things. I was like, I don't want to distract myself. Like I should really channel all my energy into this for a day. And then after that, I feel like this relief. I'm like, okay, that's done. I give myself a few days off and then like gear up for the next thing. Yeah. I mean, you brought up something interesting also, which is the notion of, I think the expectations of the way that people show up and share important information with them has changed. And a lot of people rail against social media for a lot of different reasons. And there, there are things that, you know, I think a lot of us would like to see change, but at the same time, you know, I look at the world of journalism, especially broadcast media and a generation ago, I feel like there was an expectation that everything would be sort of like stayed and it's become, I feel like social media has changed the expectation and that's rippled back into the, the world of mainstream broadcasting as well to be more forgiving, to be more human, to be more just casual and open. Do you sense that also? I really do. And I've noticed that in TikTok and Reels. And I find that a more engaging way to connect with people is to really talk right to them. And I really like where it's heading. Like you said, there are some negative sides to social media, but the benefit of being able to be your authentic self with just a camera and get that information out there and really explore your passion, I think is creating a world of mini journalists that might not realize it because it really is about exploring your passion. And in these small fields, especially local journalism, just having a younger generation get excited about telling stories of where they live. I'm really excited of where it could go, but because before you used to be kind of pigeonholed to the idea that a local news station would cover it. And now we've expanded beyond that. Yeah. I mean, now you see local news stations and even major network news stations pulling clips from like some individual's account, you know, in a small town with like 30 followers who are their family and friends. And they're pulling that, those video clips onto mainstream broadcast because that person is on ground. They're like the citizen journalists and they become a part of the loop. You mentioned the idea of passions, sharing passions. Over this decade career of yours so far, 
starting out NBC news hosting, um, fix this, like this fix it show, the daily blast live. And more recently now at the NASA jet propulsion lab. So it seems like you have followed some, just a really interesting and unusual path. I'd love to know more about sort of like how you've woven those together. And if you see a through line through all of those different experiences. I believe it really goes back into my passion for wanting to tell stories of all sorts. And uh, there's not one thing I feel like I want to pigeonhole myself into again. And what I do is I just follow what I love at the time. And I think it's it's okay to have multiple interests. Sometimes I think people get stuck in the idea that they have to present themselves in a certain way or someone knows them or has expectations of them. I went into journalism because I love the arts and I love the creative arts and I wanted to talk about the creative arts. And that's what I focused on when I was an undergrad and in my master's, I wanted to talk about live music. I wanted to talk about the West End and movies and movie reviews. And people watch programs because they want to feel like they are connected to someone and see themselves in someone sometimes. And it's that connection people are looking for. And that's what I love. And it doesn't have to be based on one thing. Just because I used to love music doesn't mean I can't get into DIY and home improvement and now talk about trending news and breaking news topics. And even from there, I started to explore my love of space. That was also something I really love history arts and space. And someone had told me about this program called NASA Social, which you can apply for and you can go see a rocket launch. You just have to tweet about it, put it on Instagram, just alert your audience about it. So it's a way to kind of get it out there to audiences that might not know about it. And I was selected, I believe in 2019. And I went there and I remember We were sitting down and they were about to do a NASA TV program. And I had this little moment of my mind where I was like, this is what I want to do. This is how I want to reach people. But at the time, I I didn't even know that could be a path. And months later, a coworker of mine told me, have you seen this job? I have it on my list of jobs that come up in an email alert. And the truth is, I didn't have any space experience other than going to planetariums and talks Mm. and to that NASA social. But I knew just from previous experiences that you should always put yourself out there because you never know what could happen. And I did, and I applied and it turns out I was who they were looking for and it worked out beautifully. Yeah. I mean, that's amazing. Um, And such an important lesson. Also, we look at things when we're like, we start to actually come up with all the arguments why we're not right for it or we wouldn't be accepted in our heads. And we shoot ourselves down before we even just say like, well, what's the harm of trying, right? Like the worst case, if I'm, I'm already rejecting myself without anything, like if I try and it doesn't work, like I'm in the same spot, but who knows? What if it does work? I feel like we're so concerned about being rejected socially or professionally that oftentimes we just don't even put ourselves in the arena to be considered or to consider different things, not because we're not right for whatever the opportunity is, but just because we're so concerned about not getting it and how that would make us feel or position us afterwards. That's true. I've actually tried to consciously get rejected 
Oh, no <laughs> I kidding. put myself out there in scenarios. I've gone to auditions. I've applied for things just to get used to that feeling. Because once you can get past that feeling of, okay, I wasn't who they wanted, you find out there are opportunities there that you never knew were possible unless you put yourself out there. So it's a challenge to myself. Again, it's that once I know I feel uncomfortable, I kind of know that's where I need to shift to into that space. And I know it can be scary, but if I just try, the worst that can happen is they can say no. And the best thing that could happen is that a new opportunity develops for me. Yeah, I love that. It's so important to just keep revisiting that at all stages of life because it never leaves us until we make it a practice to really just step into that mode of, let me just keep putting myself out there. Um, Part of what you have really developed also in your career is a focus. So you create content in multiple languages Mm -hmm. and you tell stories in multiple languages. You highlight, you spotlight the work of people who have different cultures. For you, that also sounds like it's personal. Yes, it was. Uh, My family is, well, my father's side is from La Paz, Bolivia. And every other summer growing up, since I was a little girl, I would spend about three or or four months there. And it is part of my identity and my culture. And when I had a chance to help out NASA Español, which is bringing Spanish language programming to a new audience that wants to learn about these missions in their own language. I wanted to try, but I have to admit, I was terrified because I have only spoken Spanish really at home and conversationally, where if you mispronounce something or your grammar's a little off, like no one's going to really look at you. They're like, oh, it's fine. But this is where I had to be correct and I had to be technical. And I was just thinking I'd never see like heard some of these words before. I'm like, what is the word for launch in Spanish? Some things that were just jogging my brain. And I really, it was one of those moments where we talk about when you feel shy, you're like, okay, I got to put all my energy into this and really like boost myself up into preparing. And what I noticed with speaking to others, the scientists and engineers is they kind of felt the same way too. They Mm. were like, oh, we have to think about these terms we had common ground there. And as scary as it can be, sometimes it really refocused. I'm really working on my pronunciation. I'm really studying again, because I know how much this impacts people. The great thing about social media is you can see in real time how your work is affecting someone and watching the interviews or seeing how people react to the YouTube videos that go out and how thankful they are to hear these engineers and scientists explain the mission. Because when you expand, giving people access to something that they previously didn't have access for can bud a new engineer or scientist that just needed to hear it. And that is what I know is the true intent behind it. So whenever I get nervous or I get scared, I have to think about, if we get this information out there, it could change the world or it could change the life of one person. Yeah. I mean, it's so important. I, I have a number of friends that have told me stories about how they've stepped into fields or experiences, but only after they saw someone, at, you know, often it was in their late teens, who looked like them, who came from a community or a family like them, who spoke a language that they speak. They wanted to see somebody doing it before. And that gave them a sense that, oh, this is possible. But until they actually witnessed even just a single person, it wasn't even in the realm of possibility, but that just flips a switch. So 
yeah, I think it is really important to open those doors. You know, part of what we're talking about here is your passion for storytelling and for sharing your own culture and exploring it in different languages. But part of what we're also talking about is crystal clear. I mean, your undergrad degree, you have like, I think a triple major and a minor. Yes. Um, everything you're talking about here is learning, 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 learning. Like you are somebody who is really clearly passionate about just nonstop learning. It seems like being a perpetual student is just a part of your DNA. That's a great way to put it. I really embrace the idea of never stop learning, never stop having interests and passions in your life. You can inspire others through a passion that you have in yourself as well. And that's what I really like to remind myself too, is go into the world with an open mind and great things happen. Yeah. So for you, part of that process, you end up um, at University in Denver undergrad doing this triple major and minor, but also at some point, something you says, you know, I'm here in the U.S. What would it be like to step outside of this context, this entire educational context, and spend a little time studying outside of the country? How does that seed get planted in you? I'm curious. The way it happened originally was in undergrad, our junior year, our school offered a study abroad program for, we had quarters, so a few months. And we were able to pick with participating universities. And I went to London the first time again, because I loved creative arts in the moment and what better city than London to see that. And the first time around, I absolutely fell in love with the city, but I also noticed that I really stuck to my American friends and made American friends that were like in similar programs. And I needed to experience the city on my own to truly understand and immerse myself into that culture. And once that seed was planted, all I could think about is how to get back to London. And once I graduated, it seemed like a natural fit, especially when I was looking into different universities in the U.S. programs were two years and they were really expensive. And I remember looking at London and it was not only one year, but it was cheaper than I think a semester currently at my undergrad. And that included everything that included finding accommodations, food and tuition. So for you, part of it was the educational opportunity, but also it sounds like both a financial benefit, but also time benefit. Because when you're looking at master's programs, my understanding is in, in the US, most of them, you're usually looking at two years. And what you're describing is a one-year program in the UK. There's this phrase that's being tossed around a lot these days, which is time poverty. So many of us feel like the thing that we feel a bigger pain around is not financial, but actually time. You know, we feel like we open our eyes when we get up in the morning, we close them at night. We don't know what happened and we feel like our to-do list has only gotten longer. So the notion of being able to literally give yourself back a year, mm -hmm. you know, if you're someone who wants to study, you're passionate about education, you look at a master's program, you're like, I just can't see myself taking two years out of my life to do this. It is interesting that even the structure of taking a year off of that, I would imagine makes a huge difference. I'm, I'm curious how much of a consideration that that part of it was for you. It was, and it also ties into wanting to learn more. It was like, if I have one year, if I want to take another course, I could have two masters mm, in two right, years, right. <laughs> you know? Like, and I, I did have some friends that did that, but I also was ready to go in my career. So after this year, I was like, this is what I needed. Uh, 
I had three majors and a minor. It was, it was time. It was time to get out there. Like I had really maximized all I could through schooling and it felt like I was needed to get on that track and a year seemed like the perfect amount of time. Yeah. So you add that. And then as you shared, it's also a very different financial structure in the UK than it is here. The costs are cheaper in terms of tuition. Uh, housing was pretty similar, but it was really nice trying to figure out all this, <laughs> all this grown up stuff at the time that you had to do when you're by yourself in another country. When you're doing that also, it's not just the school part of it that prepares you, that teaches you, but it's, you know, everybody learns to live to a certain extent more independently when they go to college, if they go to college. Mm -hmm. Um, But when you do it in a different country, even in an English speaking country, I would imagine there's still more challenges than you would face showing up in the University of Denver, like in the major US city. (laughs) I mean, just from a practical standpoint. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And there's so much to be said on this. I do believe that just because you have common language does not mean you have a common culture. And Mm, I learned that pretty quickly. Uh, And I really thought like I had gone into it and I was like, I know exactly. I've read up like mobile, cell phone and flat is apartment. Like I know all those things. And, but what truly was appealing to me about that independence was I feel is in the United States, my friends and family had kind of these expectations of me, of my identity. And going to another country was a chance to really explore who I was outside of my friends and family's influence. And there's so many factors to that. Like I can find out what really is important to me and what things I want to explore. Like, for example, I always wanted to be a vegetarian, but in my home, that wasn't a possibility. And all my friends at undergrad and in high school knew me as someone who was like, eating meat all the time. And it was something deep down that it I'd never felt like it was something meant for me. I didn't want that. And once I was in London and fresh start, I wanted people to see me as someone who was a vegetarian. And to this day, like over a decade later, I'm still a vegetarian because I had a chance to explore that space thanks to London and the fact that the UK food had a lot more vegetarian options than they did at the US at the time. That's so interesting. So it's it's almost like you're describing it as a pattern interrupt, you know, where it's really hard to make that sort of just profound change when you're in an environment and surrounded by people who've kind of known you in a certain way for a long time. Mm-hmm. But when you literally transport yourself to another country, you drop into the UK, it's sort of like you start with a completely clean slate and you get to kind of define how you're going to show up in that space and and in doing so really how you want people to see you and relate to you, um, and understand you, which I I wonder, I'm always fascinated by the concept of sliding doors. Like if you had never done this, would some of the changes that became really important to you and that are sustained today have just never happened at all? I really do believe I'd still be more of an introverted person. London forced me to come out of my shell, not only in my career and for the schooling I was doing, but personally as well. Like you have to put yourself out there to make friends. And it was a different experience than I've ever had before. But again, going back to my professional career, 
if I wanted to get something done, I had to go out there and do it, especially in journalism. I had to make the calls. I had to learn to get rejected. I had to learn how to take a no and formulate a new plan on the fly and how to work under pressure and all those skills. Even personally, I'm thinking about this now, working under pressure or trying to travel under pressure. I'm from a town that's like 50,000 people. So learning public transportation was a whole new arena for me. And I remember the tube was one of the most intimidating because I didn't know if I would get myself lost and how to figure out how to make my way back somewhere. And mastering all those skills gave me the confidence I needed to be where I'm at today. These little things that you don't realize add up really added up in my time abroad. Yeah. I mean, especially in, in the, the field of journalism, right? You have to be agile. You have to learn how to change on the dime, adapt to people, to circumstances, to conversations. It sounds like that was a really good early training for you in the field that you would eventually go into. The other thing that, that also really I'm curious about for you. So you started out with, I think, a broader a broader lens on culture in part because your family culture was international and bilingual. <laughs> When you step into then studying in the UK, okay, so as as you described, yes, we share a language, but culturally very different. But also because the UK and London in particular is really a hub for so many other countries. I'm curious what your experience was around being there and not just getting the benefit of experiencing, okay, I'm, I'm now in London in the UK, but also studying with and being surrounded by people from all different countries, all different places, all different cultures on a regular basis, especially in, you know, with the level of globalism that defines the world these days. I was lucky in that my program was also international broadcast journalism. So I was really the only American in my program. There was a print division that had two other Americans, but everyone around me was from a different country. And mm. I got to make friends from almost every single continent, which... <laughs> It means so much to me to this day. Like we have a WhatsApp group that we all chat with, but what was important was understanding other people's cultures and where they're coming from. And it felt intimidating at first because I didn't know what it would be like. It, it's true. I did have my experiences with going to Bolivia and I knew that part of myself, but learning with other people, I wondered how that would go. And what we discovered quickly on is even though we may have never visited each other's countries, we all had common ground. We all had the same sense of humor. We all had interests and passions. And there was a lot more that brought us together than the differences in our culture. Those became fun stories to share and learn about each other. And that is something that I'll always cherish is the fact that you could approach something with a curious and open mind and your friends were open to it as well. And even though I was there by myself trying to establish who I was, they were also on the same boat. So we had a lot to become each other's support systems and really learn how to work with each other as well. Because in my program, there was one course where we had to run a news website. So we had to be editors, we had to upload, we had to upload articles and create videos together, take photos. And we really had to learn how to work as a team. And that was fantastic. I would learn just how other people would operate outside of how maybe people operate in the United States. And it was really great to see how we like all came together 
and we were able to work as a team and find that common ground. I mean, I think it's so important in the world that we live in. You know, I think too often people look at folks who come from a different background, different country, different culture, and they see the difference. But if you can have an experience where part of it is, you know, like sure you would see and acknowledge the difference, but you also look for and see and acknowledge and celebrate what unites us, what brings us together, what do we share in common? I feel like we just need so much more of that to have that seed planted at such an early age. Mm-hmm. I think it's just, it's got to be so powerful. And I wonder if even you, like a decade into your career in journalism, um, when you go out and you're looking, you're talking to a new person or a new project, whether that is sort of like a persistent filter for you, like looking and saying, like, what do we share? Like, what, what do we have in common as like, what are the bridges that we can build? That is exactly how I approach situations with someone who might not have a career field as mine. Like if I talk to an engineer or scientist, like what is our common ground? What do we share? What are our passions? And when you approach someone in that way, you learn to build a relationship with them outside of just, I'm going to ask you questions and you're going to answer them. You learn to see who they are and tell their story through how you can relate to them as well. And I think it all starts with empathy and being in the UK, I was developing really great skills and empathy was one of them and learning how to have an open mind when approaching situations. And it really did filter through every aspect of my career. When I try to tell a story, I want to make sure I'm going into their perspective and like seeing it outwards versus how I want this to go. I want to be like, how will this impact them? And that's something that I feel like needs to be thought through when approaching anything. Yeah, I love that. When you study in the UK, in addition to all the different benefits that we've been exploring, I'm also curious, did you find that the methodologies, the structures, the the actual way that the teaching happens, or the expectations of students was meaningfully different from what you experienced in the US? In the United States, I felt like I had my curriculum and I would do the assignments and turn them in. In the UK, I was self-driven. It wasn't really a teacher saying, well, you need to do it like this and this. There were obviously expectations, but it was our chance to really shine and show what we were capable of. Yeah. I mean, that makes a lot of sense. I have friends who've grown up all over the UK and they've described their education as being like from the place and then going through higher education. And part of what they described to me is also partly what you just described in that there's more freedom to really make it what you want of it. But also at the same time, a sense of rigor around really intellectual curiosity and also communication. Like I feel like a lot of times what they've shared with me is communication was emphasized. Like how are you actually going to going to communicate what you know, what is of value in a way that is different than is emphasized in more of a U.S.-based education. Now, I'm curious because you actually were studying journalism, so it's built into the very bones of your topic. But do you sense that even if you were studying almost anything else, that there is a stronger emphasis on the notion of how do I share what I know or what's meaningful or what's important in a way that others will relate to? I do think back on some of my undergrad classes when I was there at study abroad and I was taking courses at the University of Westminster, there was an emphasis on really driving home your perspective on a topic. And I do remember that being a chance to really think and communicate how I see the world and how other people see the world as well. And bringing that together was 
it was really beneficial because it really focuses on having you shine. Essentially, this is your time to really communicate how you are gathering this information and how it comes out in the work that you do. Mm. When you decide, okay, so first I went undergrad and then I'm going back for a master's. You shared earlier, you know, two really big factors were um, one, it was a year versus two years. And the value was just really great, mm-hmm. um, especially compared to a lot of, I think, private education in the US. But then you also have to get through the details. And I wonder whether some people are listening to this and they're like, Either they're at an age where they're curious about studying abroad, or maybe their parents who are listening to this and be like, I would love my kid to have this experience. Maybe they're undergrad or they're graduating and thinking about a master's because it sounds like there's so many benefits, but there probably is also some resistance around, but it seems like it's complicated too. Talk to me a little bit more granularly, the process. I mean, when we're thinking about how do we actually get to study overseas, if we want to go to the UK and actually study was the application process different or unusual than the U.S.? And then when you think about, well, how do we fund this? Is it the same as in the U.S.? Is it different? Do we have to set up visas? I'm curious about some of the actual details of actually making it work. I This could be a different experience for other people, but I found it easier to apply to a school in the U.K. than I did in the United States. Oh, wow. There were less tests. I remember I didn't have to take a GRE exam. I could just apply directly through the university as well. And I went through that process and I asked a lot of questions and the application process was easy. And if I could give anyone any advice is that if you're going to do this, give yourself plenty of time because I thought, I think it was like six to eight weeks of the time to get your visa sent out and sent back to you in order to get to the UK. And I was like, oh yeah, I'm like like close to the threshold. I'll be fine. It said six to eight It takes longer than you usually expect. Do all those things early. So if you're thinking about it, there is no harm in just setting yourself up early because you don't want to be stressed going into it, wondering, am I going to get all my paperwork done in time? Really give yourself that time to get that done. And you will thank yourself in the end for it. Uh, Also, I had to think about setting up a bank account, making sure I had enough funds. These are things you have to ask yourself ahead of time before you go into it. So really, if you're thinking about studying abroad or in the UK, start making a plan sooner than later. So if it is something you're thinking about, really look into all the steps that it takes and if you have the time to get those done, which typically you do. It's just better to start now than thinking like, this will be something I do after I apply and get in. Mm. So you brought up the idea of funding also, and a lot of people actually, either they, they look for scholarship, they look for financial aid, they look for friends and relatives, anything, or our own savings. I don't know if this was part of your experience at all, but did you have a sense for, I'm sure a lot of the curiosity people would be like also, is like, well, I kind of think I could figure out how, if I need some help doing this, how to create financial aid or funding or scholarships in the US. But is it a similar process In the UK, is it a whole different way that you go about it? There are a lot of scholarships online. I did not use one personally, but I know that there's a whole world out there and my fellow classmates did use it and access to it. It exists online and you just have to ask about them too. There are lots of resources and people are there to help you. Study UK is one of the examples. If you reach out to someone They're here to help you and give you the steps that you need. We live in a great age where 
if we have a question, there's someone we could reach out to that wants to help us. And if you feel like you need funding, there are places online you can look to see if that is possible for you. Yeah. So basically what it sounds like you're saying is, yes, it's different than the process in the U.S., but it's not necessarily more complicated. And in some ways, it's actually easier. You described the actual process of applying. It sounded like it was a lot easier and more straightforward. And all the other considerations that you would have in the U.S. with financial aid, funding, sourcing, just logistics, you're going to have them there and probably just at a similar level. So the big message that I hear you saying is basically give yourself time because it's probably going to take more than you think it is. And just you don't want the pressure of rushing against the clock when you're going through all these different things. Exactly. Give yourself that time and space. And since it is in the United States more expensive to go to post-grad, you will find an easier time if you need to come up with funds with yourself too. It's more manageable in that way as well. So just learn about the pricing structure as well and see what what options you have and what options you can give yourself because that is a big advantage is because the cost is much cheaper in the United Kingdom. Yeah. So if we start to zoom the lens out and we, you can reflect now, and, and this was a chunk of years in your past at this point, you're well into your career and you're well into your life just as a human being. If you think about the impact that your study in the UK experience had for you, on you just as, as a human being, without even getting to your career yet, just on you, on who you are and how you show up in the world, do you feel that there is literally a decade later now that there's been a really lasting and meaningful impact in your personal life, the way that you are in the world and the way you bring yourself to the world? It really shaped how I show up in the world. Absolutely. I have more confidence because I had to learn how to live on my own and independently. And it brought me skills to trust myself. And that is something that I am forever grateful for is that I have a better sense of my identity. I know who I am. Like we discussed before, I was able to explore facets of myself that maybe I wasn't able to in the United States with friends and family. And I established who I was. And that really gave me the self-confidence I have now throughout my life. Mm. When you think about the way that you've filled the last 10 years, the way that you've built on what your experience was, not just how it's grown you personally, but also professionally. A word that keeps getting floated up in conversations that I'm having is purpose. And that's not necessarily this idea of like a singular life purpose, which I'm, I'm actually not a huge believer in, um, <laughs> but rather a more just day-to-day, -day, I have a sense of purpose. Like I wake up in the morning and there are things that are deeply meaningful to me. Like I have a sense of purpose as I move through my day. And I've had so many conversations with people who really, this has become so much more centered in a lot of people's lives. I feel like over the last three or four years, our world has been turned upside down. There's been so much disruption. People are realizing that you know, like work and life, especially work, it's not just about status or money or power or security. Yes, those things matter and in varying ways to varying people. But having a sense of purpose, it's become so much more centered. I'm curious whether reflecting on the experience that you've had in the study abroad and how it's woven through the entire career that you've developed, whether you feel that experience has helped you identify things that bring you or experiences that bring you a sense of purpose in your life. It's a lot to think about when you think about purpose. I do think that my sense of purpose was solidified there as well, professionally and personally, because 
I really thought of how I wanted to show up and what impact I wanted to make on people's daily lives. Mm. No, that makes a lot of sense to me. It feels like a good place for us to come full circle in our conversation as well. So in this container of Good Life Project, if I offer up the phrase to live a good life, what comes up? I think to live a good life, you should strive to understand those around you because the best way to live is when you have people know that they are seen because that's how you feel seen as well. And the best way to live your life is through connections and developing connections of any kind can strengthen who you are and our bonds in this world. Mm, Thank you. I loved learning about Raquel's love of learning and storytelling, her devotion to sharing a passion for space with a bilingual audience, and hearing about how her experience studying and living in the UK truly changed the course of her career and life. And we're grateful to be able to collaborate with the Study UK campaign to bring you this sponsored conversation chock full of wisdom and inspiration. The Study UK campaign is delivered in partnership with the UK government's Great Campaign for Britain and Northern Ireland, which encourages people from around the world to study and visit or trade and best live and work in the UK. You can learn more about the Study UK campaign at the Study UK website at study-uk.britishcouncil.org. Head on over to hear more students' stories and find out more about studying the UK from world-class teaching to making memories that last a lifetime to how to find and then even fund that amazing opportunity. Again, that's study-uk.britishcouncil.org or just click the link in the show notes. Before you leave, if you love this episode, say that you will also love the conversation we had with Pico Iyer about the power of travel as a tool for learning and connecting. You'll find a link to Pico's episode in the show notes. And of course, if you haven't already done so, please go ahead and follow Good Life Project in your favorite listening app. And if you found this conversation interesting or inspiring or valuable, and chances are you did since you're still listening here, would you do me a personal favor, a seven second favor and share it? maybe on social or by text or by email, even just with one person. Just copy the link from the app you're using and tell those you know, those you love, those you want to help navigate this thing called life a little better so we can all do it better together with more ease and more joy. Tell them to listen. Then even invite them to talk about what you've both discovered because when podcasts become conversations and conversations become action, that's how we all come alive together. Until next time, I'm Jonathan Fields signing off for Good Life Project.